I think a lot of people think that self-harm is just cutting, but I would say self-harm is also people that abuse alcohol or people that abuse drugs. You're still harming yourself. And when you think about it that way, then you kind of think that, yes, people might show it physically by cutting, but people that are alcoholics, they're not so much more different than these people. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, we are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. You can check the show notes of this episode to learn more about different opportunities we have to get involved, participate, among other things. And hey, if you have a moment, rate us on the Apple Podcast platform. It helps people find the Suicide Noted podcast. And of course, we want more people to find it because we want to help more people in more places feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. Thanks. Do keep in mind, we are talking about suicide on this podcast and we don't hold back. So take that into account before you listen or as you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Rihanna. Rihanna lives in England and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Rihanna, how are you? Um, I'm good, thank you. Now, you say you're from Romania, but I hear a super British accent. I don't hear anything Romanian in this accent. So... Yeah, because I moved when I was eight to England, so that's why my accent is British. And how old are you? I'm 18, nearly 19. Nearly 19. In what part of Britain? You don't have to share if you don't want. I'm just curious. Yeah, so I live in Essex. So you're in Britain. I'm in the States. You're 18. I'm not. What led you to search for a podcast with the word suicide in it, Rihanna? I actually wanted to find kind of tips to stop suicidal thoughts. Okay. Um, so Very that was hard. kind of my goal. But so I searched up suicide. But if you just search up suicide, it doesn't actually come up with really anything. It just comes up for me, just like a message being like, if you need help. Well, we have like a mental health charity called Samaritans. So mm-hmm. call Samaritans. Because Google or wherever can't recognize why you're using that word. So they just, that happens. Is that unused Google? Was it Google or Spotify or an Apple? I used, um, I used Apple. In Apple, that happened. Yeah, it happened in Apple. So I was a bit confused. And then Me I searched too. up. No, yeah, I was really confused. So I searched up kind of su- suicidal thoughts and then the podcast came up. And I found it really interesting because I kind of started listening to it and I related to some of the stories about it. And then I kind of, uh, well, at the end, usually people are like, what has helped them and everything. And I used some of the tips for me and it actually has really helped. Wow. Like what? So I found that music has really um, helped me. So I kind of started up playing the piano again, talking about it and 
having really like when I start having suicidal thoughts or I see myself falling in a bit deeper, like talking to people around me or has also really helped. All right. So why do you want to talk about this so that other people can hear it? I think it's all kind of a common stereotype that young people can't really have mental health issues because we're the younger generation and we don't have it as bad as the older generation. But I feel like, especially with my friends or people my age, I think mental health is something that has has really affected a lot of us. So Mm. I kind of wanted to be a voice for those people. And I think that um, being Romanian and mental health was not really talked about in Romania, but living in Britain and having that contrast. Yeah, I kind of wanted to talk about that as well. And maybe some people can relate to the experience. Sure. We could do this conversation in Romanian, but do you speak Romanian? Yeah, I do. I also know French and German to an advanced level. So we could speak in those languages. We could do German or French (laughs) or Romanian, which is a romance language, people, by the way. However, there's a big problem. And you know what it is. You don't speak any other languages. I don't speak. I do speak some Spanish. Don't speak those languages. So for the sake of our listeners, I think we should just go to British uh, English. I'm doing American English. You're doing uh, British English. So do you remember the first time you ever thought about ending your life? Um, I think the first time I thought about it was probably when I was around 12. 13 when actually 13 reasons why came out so I think I had thoughts about like death and thought Mm -hmm. in moments where I found it really difficult because I started getting quite bad anxiety and panic attacks since I was 11 sometimes thought about it in passing but I feel like 13 reasons why and I think media um, actually made me think about it more in depth and more about the topic of suicide Mm. So you're saying you got introduced to the idea of it, 13 Reasons Why made you think more in depth about it. At what point did you start thinking, hmm, I'm not sure if I want to be alive anymore? I think it was when I was about 14 and I was having a lot of family issues. And also the school I was going to put a lot of pressure on me academically. And I felt that I wasn't really understood. I didn't have any close friends that I confided in like to. And I felt just really, really alone. Uh, Mm. with my mental health so I started thinking about it more in depth yeah killing myself and methods and yeah did you tell anybody I didn't really tell anybody because my family's not really they don't really believe that mental health is a problem they'll just think I'm attention seeking so I don't really talk about it with them and I think with my close friends, I might have mentioned it in passing, but I don't think they've really thought about it or took me seriously at the time. Right. I don't really agree with the term attention seeking. I find it really, really stupid because everyone wants attention. So right. for example, I've struggled with self-harm and a lot of people say that is attention seeking. And I personally find it really, really wrong because it's a lot of people try to hide it. And also when people try to reach out for help, they do want attention, but that's not a bad thing. Right. Maybe there are people in your life that weren't paying you much attention and they could have been. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. The people that are like saying that's attention seeking. I just wonder, I'm not pointing fingers. Like, are you paying any attention to this person? I don't know. Mom, dad, sister, brother, friend, teacher. No, I, I do agree. I feel like uh, my parents, the way they think about raising uh, like their children, like they've always supported me financially, but they don't think 
about emotional support so they were always kind of at work and any time they felt bad mentally they would take it out on me for emotional abuse and when I was younger through physical abuse so I found it really really difficult at home with my friends it wasn't really talked about and I always was scared that if I opened up to a teacher they'll just go on and tell my parents you said your parents don't believe in mental health. I'm not sure exactly what that means, though I think I understand what you mean by it. You also just said when your parents were going through difficult something or other, they come home and take it out on you. Yeah, it's just very confusing, like their mentality. Like we do actually have relatives that struggle mentally and they're kind of being ostracized and isolated from the rest of the family members. So I've got some relatives who have schizophrenia or have struggled mm-hmm. with really bad depression. And those people are always laughed at and, you know, talked about in a negative way. And I feel like with my parents, it's kind of generational because that's how my grandparents acted towards them. And yeah. my dad, for example, suffered really bad abuse. So I feel like in that way, they didn't know any better. Obviously, it's wrong how they acted. But if they're going for a hard time, they'll never say, oh, I was struggling mentally. Okay, but that's just words we're using. They're still going through the thing. Like you see how your family members who are struggling are being treated and ostracized. You That registers. I always felt quite a lot of empathy towards those family members and how they were treated. And I always kind of felt that if I talked about it, then a lot of relatives would like they would look negatively towards me. And I've also been I've always been a bit of a people pleaser, especially towards my family members. So, yeah, that's why. Romanian parents, grandparents came from a different time. I get that because when they were growing, I don't know their exact ages. It's not important. But if my math is correct, they're probably growing up not only with like Romanian culture, but then you have like the whole Soviet influence and all that stuff. So that's part of it. Okay. Maybe. Why did they come to England? For work. And also Romania is like very corrupt in terms of the government. So they basically came because they were struggling financially and they were kind of wanted a better future for us financially. All right. And are you in college right now? We call it college. Yeah, I'm going to college in September. Is it in London? Um, Cambridge. What? <laughs> so you're a smarty pants. I got you. All right. What are you going to study? Do you know? Uh, yeah, French and German, actually. Would it surprise you to know that I've been on that campus? Really, as a student? Not as a student. They would never <laughs> let me in. Are you kidding me? But I had a good friend of mine, and I don't think she went there, but she was doing something related to language, like, but ESL, and there was some certificate pro. So she lived there for like a year. We were really good friends. So I visited. So beautiful. Very England. Very England. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Are you excited? Uh, yeah, I'm quite excited. I think living on a campus and kind of finally having more independence in that way. Uh, yeah, I think it will really help. Because right now, are you in your parents' home? Uh, yes, I am. But yeah. What but? But yeah, but. everyone's asleep at the moment because it's quite late at night. Right. Is that why we're doing it at this time? Yes. Because they can't know that you're talking about this? Yeah, because they can't know. So they won't hear it? No, they won't hear it because I'm on a different floor and on the other side of the house. So Right. And they won't hear it when it comes out, like on a podcast, because I'm guessing they probably don't even listen to podcasts, right? They don't listen to podcasts. And I'm, I would be very surprised if they listen to a podcast about mental health. Right. And especially suicides. Well, do you think if you told them, not that you will, but if you told them, hey, what's mom and dad in Romanian? I'm not that you call them this, but how do you say it? Mom is mama and dad is 
data. Okay, so it's pretty pretty similar. Hey, I'm going to I'm going to be on this podcast. Thousands of people are going to hear it. You think they'd be like, "Wow, that's great, Rihanna." They wouldn't. They know they know now about my mental health struggles because of the suicide thing and also because my school did end up telling them, mm-hmm. but they're still very not supportive about it. One other question about Cambridge. You're excited, independence. Are you nervous, scared? I'm nervous about having a good work-life balance when I'm at such a like a top university, especially because compared to the other universities, the terms are a lot shorter at Cambridge and the workload is bigger. So I'm a bit scared about that. And also because like I'm surrounded by, you know, one of the top professors in the world, some of the top professors. Yeah, I'm a bit scared. Okay. All right. So I so you shared early, like 11, 12, 13, 14, you're introduced to the idea of suicide. You start thinking about it in some ways. At 14, it gets a little more intense. You're 19 now, almost 19. So what's the first one? What happens? So all three of them were actually this year. The first one I had was actually in April. So I was going for a really rough time. So in the last year of school, we actually do A-level exams. And I was really struggling mentally because my dad kind of was in and out of my life. Uh, My parents are divorced. At the time, he was really not in contact with me at all. Um, I was really struggling with my family situation. My mom kind of found out about my mental health, so was kind of abusive about that. Through the mental health system in England, it's not very good. So I wasn't getting much support from that either. And I felt quite alone. I was just doing really, really badly, basically. And it was in the holiday before, you know, after a term of school. So I wasn't seeing my school counsellor either. And I found that really, really difficult. So this is in April of 2023. Yeah. So just to zoom out for a moment, April, May, June, July. So you've had the three attempts in like four months. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're finishing high school. So there's a person there, a counselor that you talk to about this stuff? Uh, yeah. So I've talked to them maybe like a year and a half. So I've seen them for quite a long time. They'll keep it confidential, even if you're at a high risk? They keep it confidential up to a point. So I've had the school contact my parents before. So Mm -hmm. especially because you're under 18. um, Mm -hmm. So we have this thing called CAMS, Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services. So if they think you're high risk suicide, if you have suicidal thoughts, they won't really contact per se. You have a plan and a date. They will more likely to contact. The standard questions to see how risk, but people typically know that they're being assessed for risk. So if they don't want their parents called, they'll just lie. A lot of teens that struggle mentally or a lot of people, I'm not saying everyone, they actually have had trauma or a bad upbringing. But at Mm. the same time, I can't really find a good solution because it to some extent kind of parents knowing, especially if they're high risk, they're more likely to kind of try to keep the child safe or wasn't in my case but no in your case you got shit for it yeah I got a lot of shit for it yeah do you think that kind of thing would ever help anyone ever getting shit for feeling like shit I don't think no I don't think it would help it so in April what do you do so I took a lot of pills I think everyone, like my friends, have always been like, it was an attempt, but I never considered it fully an attempt because I backed out of it. So I took loads and loads of pills. And then a few hours later, I actually was feeling very, really sick. 
and I had written a suicide note and everything but I kind of backed out out of it so I did actually end up telling my mum who was very very annoyed and took me to hospital but kind of just left me there really having a hard time liking your mother right now I have to be completely honest with you yeah I took a taxi home after you know after I was treated in hospital so when you say you backed out do you mean you threw up I backed out in terms of I was like maybe I don't want to go through with this but I had taken steps towards it I didn't actually fall unconscious like my other attempts. I was just in a lot lot of pain. Sure. So when you say you backed out, you mean you went and got help. You wouldn't have done that. You would have seen what would have happened had you not told anybody, gone to the hospital. Yeah. Did they give you charcoal, get, get it out? Actually, I was past the point of charcoal. So they had to put me on IV. So I was basically for a few days, I was just, yeah, I was on IV fluids. Do you remember what you were thinking when you were on your hospital bed and you were, I assume, alone and you had just kind of tried to end your life? I kind of regretted it that I didn't go fully through with it. I felt really, really alone. But at the same time, I was trying to keep a very positive outlook because I didn't want them to keep me in hospital more than like after they physically treated me. And did they? Basically, even with serious self-harm or because I've been to hospital seven times this year and a lot last year as well, they've never kept me in hospital because I have capacity, because I don't have learning difficulties and I can make decisions and I understand the consequence of my decisions. They will never keep me in hospital. So even when I've had serious self-harm where I had overdoses, but not with the intent to kill myself, just taking loads of pills, but I actually had to be treated in hospital, they've never kept me. I mean, and if England's Essex's hospitals or anything like the ones around here, I'm not sure that staying in them to be treated for other things would be a good thing or not, but it's just an interesting ongoing choice they're making or policy. Okay. So several hospital visits before, during, and after, it sounds like seven in total. Yeah, seven in total. That was the first actual attempt. Did you say you didn't think it was an attempt? Did I hear you say, but your friends did? Because I thought, because I backed out of it, that wasn't a proper attempt, but they thought it was a proper attempt because I did have the intent to kill myself and then took steps towards it. It's because the mental health system, they never really helped me a lot after these, like, especially this attempt. I feel like I wasn't taken seriously um, to that extent. So, yeah. That's why. But so you told people though, at least a couple of friends, they know. Yeah. So I've got quite a few supportive friends now and I have a lot of support. Well, I had a lot of support through my school. So we actually have like people that work in wellbeing. So I had the wellbeing officer and she was really, really good in terms of mm-hmm. she had taken me to hospital before. Like I could see at any time I was struggling in lessons or out of lessons would help me say I had self-harm and she would like kind of help me patch it up. Like she would call me if like I was in lesson, like she had my phone number, I would be able to call her. For emails, I've emailed her a lot. So I actually got a lot of support and also for my school council, obviously. I like that title, well-being officer. It's a nice title. I'm a well-being officer. What do you do? And so that was April. I know where this is going, obviously. So I know as April moves into May, you're still struggling. Because here's the question. Why wouldn't you be? There was no change, really. I think my family life got actually got worse because my mom knew 
mm. more about it but nothing changed except end of May and June I actually had exams so I was struggling a lot more because of the academic pressure and also because I was starting a lot of new medication so the mental health team helped me in terms of medicating me but never really they've never offered me therapy basically so I was really struggling because especially the first few weeks when you're on antidepressants or um, mood stabilizers it's really really shit for the first few weeks and I was also going for exams so it's just a lot so how many medications do you take at the moment I take five do you think they're helping I think that they're helping to an extent so I have borderline personality disorder and I have generalized anxiety disorder so the medication I take for anxiety has really really helped me um but the mood stabilizers I've just felt it makes me quite numb do you think you have borderline personality disorder I kind of basically thought yes I'm someone who self-harms and I'm a young girl so I thought yeah maybe that's why they put me in that bracket but I feel like the more I thought about it and the more I kind of thought about growing up as a teenager and some of the patterns I had I do fit it but the reason they were quite apprehensive at first about giving me that um, name was because a lot of people with borderline personality disorder because they really struggle with their emotions they will lash out at people but I don't lash out at people I lash out on myself so that's why I have so much so many self-harm scars do you do that because you said that the mood stabilizer or whatever the cocktails makes you numb so are you now so numb that you don't self-harm I self-harm a lot less but I think it's like I feel numb but at the same time I feel overwhelmed like mm. I have like all this energy like kind of inside but I just can't release it so I still self-harm but not to the same extent I did it I used to self-harm every day multiple times a day so I definitely Cutting. do it a lot less now you would cut yeah I would cut and take overdoses basically so where where did you typically cut I have 3,000 scars. So I have scars all over my arms and my thighs. So do you almost always wear pants and long sleeves? Not really, to be honest. Usually I wear short sleeves because my scars look... Sometimes a lot of people think I have a skin condition because I have keloid scars. So they are quite raised and red. So yeah, no one really thinks I have self-harm scars when they see my arms out. So I never really had a struggle with that. But... Sometimes when I feel really bad within myself, I won't wear it out. When you're wearing short sleeves or whenever, because it's your body, like, and you look at the scars, do you think of anything? I guess you've had them for a while. So maybe you just kind of got used to them, but like, are you proud of them? You're like, fuck, what did I do? Or I don't think I would ever be proud of them because I feel like the mental health system let me down a lot in terms of when I started self-harming. So I kind of told someone like six months after I started and they would always be like, oh, it's superficial. Oh, it's nothing. And they told me I should only call the crisis team if they think that my self-harm would be that deep that I would have to end up being in an ambulance. So I always kind of got into the mindset that, oh, I should go deeper um, because that's not valid self-harm. So a lot of the times when I look at my scars now, there's a part of me which feels a bit sorry for myself but at the same time I it makes me feel more horrible about myself and that I had to do it to myself but I always think well at least I don't lash out at people so that's kind of my mindset yeah so you know that I have a bit of a gift for titles right so as we speak right now 
And you might not like what I'm about to say. I know you might not. I think 3,000 Scars is a pretty damn good title for a book. Right now, I could change. It's powerful. It's interesting that you have a sense of how many, given that number so high. Like you didn't say a lot of Scars. You said three, like as if you've counted them. (laughs) One day I counted all of them because a lot of people say, especially when I went to hospital or when I first shows the well-being officer the extent of it they always say oh yeah that's a lot of scars and I was always like oh no that's not a lot of scars so I think I counted them like two months ago and then I also counted them recently and then kind of saw the increase especially because a lot of psychiatrists that I saw were always very surprised because they said well you only started self-harm two years ago and you already have that many so I was like oh no I don't have that many and then yeah I counted them. Now you said that you were stressed because not because but among other things you had these big exams and I know you did well on them because you're in Cambridge now So even despite the anxiety and all of the stuff, you did well. And the meds, you did well. And so what happens? There's another attempt. How much time goes by between attempt one and attempt two? A month and a half. So my second attempt was in June. Same method? It was the same method, but it was with different pills. And I was actually unconscious. Who found you? I was found by my mom. All right. So mom, originally you did your words the first time. I think you said she was annoyed when you told her, how would you characterize her reaction? And I'm trying to be give latitude here. I'm not picking on your mom. It's a very, very difficult emotional thing. Was she annoyed? Was she, did you have consciousness? Or did she just sort of like shake you up and get you to a hospital? I don't remember. I remember like flashbacks I I find it really weird like I woke up and I kind of had a few flashbacks kind of the ambulance and me crying for not to call the ambulance but most of it I really don't remember and then you stayed in the hospital for two days and then I had an exam the next day so basically the second day the well-being officer my school counselor actually visited me in hospital did your mom visit you in the hospital once to bring me a change of clothes and then I got the taxi home again. Has your wellness officer ever spoken to your mother about your mother? Um, Yeah, she's tried many, many times to kind of convince my mom that there is a problem, especially because in December, I did disclose to my to them that I started having really bad suicidal thoughts and they tried to call my mum and make it better. But my mum basically saw it as an attack on her and that I was doing it to have revenge on her and I was attention seeking hmm. and kind of told me that once I go to university, I'm not allowed to have contact with her or my sister because I'm just a horrible monster basically because I've started having mental health issues and started them to show kind of signs such as like scars or struggling she found it was an attack on her there's a name for that but I'm not gonna say it now your so your mother said when you go to college Cambridge by the way you will not be able to talk with her or your sister are you close with your sister I am quite close my sister she's younger than me and I've never really talked about my mental health struggles with her but she's always tried to confide in me and we are quite close so that's pretty unfair to the both of you yeah it is quite unfair she's treated a bit differently towards me because I've always been seen as the prodigy uh, Mm -hmm. since I was little and I always had a lot of pressure from my family growing up because I was always kind of gifted academically 
they were kind of more lenient towards her and she used to live with my dad quite a long time since the divorce. He basically married someone after meeting them on a dating app two month, for two months while she was married. And after that, she was quite mean to my sister and my sister moved back. Like I still want to keep contact with my sister, but probably not my mum. And your dad? My dad has blocked me because I refused to do a paternity test a few months ago. But he was very like, out of my life for like the last few years. Why did he wanted you to do a paternity test? My dad has actually had a lot of mental health struggles and has always kind of had hallucinations or episodes where he's been quite delusional. But he right. never got treated because my grandparents always said that it was the devil. So they would just bring him to church. All right. So yeah. there's a whole religious component here. What is what is Romania? Is it Christian primarily? Catholic? What what is it? Yeah, so it's Christian Orthodox. So oh. it's very strict. Like there's a lot of homophobia. So gay people right. actually can't get married in Romania. So your your grandparents that your father was possessed by the demon. Your mother thinks you're not necessarily possessed by a demon, but you're uh you just blame her for everything. She thinks it's I'm doing it as a revenge towards her. Yeah. Okay, revenge is the word. And your dad, who you've said is was really struggling, they split. He got remarried. He wanted you to do a paternity test because he thought maybe he wasn't your father, which would have meant when they were married, your mother cheated on him. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, but I look exactly like him and my dad's side of the family. So it was basically had a really bad delusional episode this year where he both mm. get, wanted to get both me and my sister to do a paternity test. I realized that I was saying things earlier that were a little bit negative towards your parents, but they're they're going through their own stuff too, whether they want to call it mental illness or not, struggle. But it sounds like you have been gaslit hard. Yeah, I've had a lot of struggles and it was only until I was talked about it to my school counselor and a lot of my close friends and they were like, yeah, this is not normal behavior from parents. Are you counting down the days when you get to leave? Yeah, I am. So I start on the 1st of October, so two months. You're going to be alive to go to Cambridge? Yeah, hopefully, yeah. I mean, we we can't guarantee tomorrow we're going to wake up, of course, and there's always the possibility of getting in an accident, but hopefully means there's a chance that maybe you'll try again. I think there's always a chance in terms of, I think I'm quite impulsive, but I feel like the chance is a lot smaller now, especially... As I think I've got a lot more hope and especially because I'm so near university and actually going and getting out of the house. I think my mental health will improve to some extent. And so that second attempt, we're going back now to June. You left the hospital after two days. You had an exam. Interesting though, they called you a prodigy. And now, well, you still might be a prodigy, but the narrative has shifted a fair amount. Yeah, so quite a big problem. So I've always kind of been complimented for my intelligence but it kind of changed when I started struggling mentally I've always kind of had a lot of insults in other aspects of my life of like not being very perfect and I always kind of had comments if I didn't get 100% on every Mm -hmm. single test it kind of was worse at times but it got really really bad when they found out about my mental health struggles I've really, really tried, but I don't think I can do anything to make them happy now they know that I have mental health issues. And a lot of my relatives no longer speak to me since they found out because my parents told them. So there's nothing I can do. Do you think they just told them stuff that 
scares them, the mental health thing, or you think they've lied a little bit about you? Maybe she's dangerous. Maybe she's this. Maybe she's that. I think they lied quite a bit and a lot of them think it is a revenge on my mum or that some people think is the devil in me. I think they're more scared of me and don't really want contact with me now because of it. When's the third attempt? Third time was in July. What day? The 20th. I'm going to look at my phone right now. I'm just scrolling up to when you first reached out. This is interesting. Can I read what you first wrote to me? We don't have to necessarily include it in the final podcast because I- Yeah, that's fine. June 18th. Do you remember this? Yeah, I do remember this. Hey, I found your podcast for the past few months now and I found it really interesting. I have two suicide attempts. So if you ever want someone to interview who is Romanian, okay, I'm here. I sent you the document a day later that I send everybody. You know, there's an overview of the show and some questions I typically ask. That was June 19th, July 26th. After presumably reading it, but five weeks go by, which is totally fine. Happens all the time. Yeah, I'm interested. What I don't see here, (laughs) you know what I don't see here, right? Yeah. This is probably not going to make the podcast. So it's kind of a fascinating moment here. I kind of want to include it with your permission. We go back and forth a little bit. You summarize kind of, I've heard the podcast. I like some of these stories. I want, And then you say, I wanted to share my story. So my three attempts of my three attempts, I didn't catch that. <laughs> I didn't write back. So all I wrote back is, what's your schedule like next week? What I didn't say is, wait a second, you had another attempt. My sessions with my counselor ended and my mental health team. I'm part of the mental health team, but then were not really offering any support. So no therapy. All they did was offer me a psychiatrist. And anytime I would call, even if I said I had suicidal thoughts, I was really, really struggling. They didn't offer me any support. I was really, really low. It was very impulsive attempt where I took all my medication and I'm on a lot of medication and was found unconscious again. This was at home? So there's a field, park field next to my house. I was planning to take all my pills. I had my suicide note and I was planning to go there and I didn't get time. I didn't realize that I would fall unconscious so quickly. And then with this attempt, I do not remember anything. What do you remember? So all I remember is taking the pills and suicide note and the attempt to go to a field. I remember taking all of them, but I just remember waking up in a hospital bed, in a ward, and them asking me, do you know why you're here? And I said, is it an overdose? And they were like, yes. Now, who found you? Was it your mom again? It was my sister. So that's something I really regret. But your sister told your mom, because she's younger, she's not about to take you to the hospital. Mom needs to know. In, In many ways, other than your sister, which is a big part of it, similar, right? You overdosed, your mom finds out, she probably doesn't show you much love or empathy. This was really, really messed up. And actually, that's the thing I struggled most with. She seemed like she wanted to change in the hospital. And she seemed suddenly that, you know, she wants to change. She wants to support my mental health. She never knew anything about my diagnosis and what support I was getting on my medication. And I told her in the hospital and I was quite out of it as well. And then when I came home, she completely changed. Mm, That was July 20th? 
Yeah, so since then it's been either the silent treatment or basically saying I don't have anything constantly screaming at me and kind of the same insults as before. So it was kind of, but it's been a bit worse recently because of the attempt was quite recent, but it's been the same thing. Are you getting any care? You've had three suicide attempts in a short period of time. Yeah. The most recent was two weeks ago, five meds. Are you talking to anybody about this other than a random bald guy in North Carolina? My three close friends and I about it and I've talked to them about it or, you know, one of my close friends, he's in Cambodia volunteering at the moment, but he wanted to call me and reach out. Other than that, I don't have any mental health support. So it's just been medication. And I'm glad you have your friends and I'm glad that medication seems to be helping. You might not want to hear this. It's not a typical thing I would say on the podcast, but your life is screaming, help me. Yeah. And nobody's helping you. No, because I still function. Like I would say that I'm functional to some extent. Like I am, you know, still doing well in school. And I feel like they've kind of seen that as, oh yeah, she's fine. But it's really messed up. Like before I had my Cambridge interview, the day before I had been to hospital because of self-harm. Like I had my exam, I was in hospital for a suicide attempt. So it's kind of like, I always have like an attempt or something like that. And then the next day it's like back to normal. Sure, until it's not. And a lot of people function at a very high level. All right. How many people know that we're talking? One. Who? One of my close friends. You said you wrote suicide notes. Yes. You have what, two or three? I had two. And for my first attempt, I had suicide videos. Basically apologies for like 20 people. Where's the video? I deleted them because I thought they would go from my phone after. And I put it like quite clear. But you have two written notes from the second and third. Yes. Now, I'm not going to ask you them to do anything with the note, but do you know where they are? I don't know. Basically, I don't know if the ambulance took them. Um, They never talked about it. Do you wish you had them? I wish I had them so I could throw them away. Do you wish that any of those attempts had worked and you had died? I think because I'm so up and down, but I'm quite numb at the moment with my medication. I'm always really scared that I will mess it up again. Mm -hmm. And then I'll be in a low, quite low point. And then in those low points, I do regret it not working sometimes I do regret that I didn't try earlier because I'm like I've gone through so much shit but nothing's really working no one's helping me well no one like the mental health team obviously I have supportive friends but I don't have a therapist or someone if you weren't on your meds and this is a tough one do you think you would have looked for the podcast reached out to me set up a time connected and talked with me? Are the meds in part the reason why you're even able to do this? Because I know you're high functioning. You got into fucking Cambridge. You ain't getting into Cambridge if you can't figure out how to make Zoom work. I get it. Did that help you sort of want to talk about it more, look for this kind of thing? Or is it completely unrelated? I think if if I wasn't on my meds, I don't think I would be alive. I think I would have continued trying to attempt. Scary. What was You just smiled. Your eyes lit up when I said scary. Yeah. I think it's because I'm smiling because it's like, if I'm doing smart, like if I was mm. in this number, I would just be crying, wouldn't it? Because what well, is like, I've gone through so much shit, but obviously I still cry. But like, if I was just crying or just kept reflecting over it, I would just feel just a lot worse, I think. If I gave you a pill tonight 
It's still purple and pink. I don't know why. It's just what I made it. And you just take it and it's peaceful and you go to sleep and you don't wake up and nobody even knows it was a suicide. They'll just be like, some something happened. We don't know what it is. Um, you know, no pain and you die. Would you take it? Right now in this moment, I wouldn't. But maybe tomorrow or another day, if I'm having a really bad day, I would take it, I think. Even though I'm, I feel numb, I still do have my moments where I do feel very, really low. But mostly I feel numb, but I still have moments where I feel very, really low. But when I'm really, really high, I don't feel the need. Right. So sometimes you say you get really, really low, but do you, so you also get really, really high. Yeah, I do. That feels really, really good. I'm not bipolar. That I'm not high or low for longer periods of time. It's quite short. So when you have the drop from really high to really low, mm. it feels absolutely horrible. And I feel like the low feels even worse. Yeah. When you're really low, can you in that moment or those moments remember, oh, I'm going to feel high again. I don't know when it's coming. Or are you just so low that it's like, this is it? Sometimes I'm like, well, the high is going to come. But mm-hmm. other times I'm like, well, what's the point of life? Just feeling constantly high and constantly low. Sometimes I'm like, well, I don't think there's, you know, a definition of normal. Like, I don't really believe in that. But sometimes it's like, I wish I didn't have borderline personality disorder. I wish I didn't have anxiety. I wish I had a normal childhood. And I know I'm never going to have that. Yeah. Why French and German? I've always loved languages. And I love communicating with people and, um, you know, learning about different cultures. So I really want to do that, especially because in the third year, there is a gap year. And I've always really wanted to be an interpreter for the UN or for the EU, which is quite a big dream. But yeah, so my mental health sometimes affects it because I'm like, well, I have loads and loads of scars. So I would always have to wear long sleeves or I always think maybe I wouldn't be accepted. But I don't know. Now, this might sound weird, but I would like you, if you're comfortable, to say the word suicide in Romanian. So it's suicid. French? Uh, la suicide. And if you know it in German? Der Selbstmord. It's self-murder in German, so... Oh, I love how things translate. It's fascinating. <laughs> That's not a word you would know if you kind of knew it a little bit. You know these languages. So you're basically fluent in four languages. I want to say I'm completely fluent in French or German, but... But you're damn close. Next question. Are there any myths about suicide, mental health, England, Romania, being a child (laughs) to these parents, or anything else? Because when we first started talking, you were specifically talking about people your age, particularly in your area, how there were some views that you disagree with. So whatever it is, what are are some of the myths you want to dispel? One myth I would dispel is that a lot of the time I know that when you think about mental health, it's just anxiety or depression. And then when you think about people with schizophrenia or bipolar, people are kind of scared of those people. But I just don't think, even with people with personality disorders, it doesn't define them. Someone can have a mental health issue, but still live a long life where they'll have some struggles, but they can still live quite a fulfilling life. So I would say that even if you have mental health issues, it might be more of a struggle, but it doesn't mean you can't still achieve your dreams. Yeah. I just think a lot of people with mental health issues are isolated from society and especially the thing that, you know, anxiety, depression is talked about, but people with bipolar or borderline personality disorder or schizophrenia, it's not talked about as much. 
I would say. I mean, the problem is, is that once in a while, somebody is dangerous. They have schizophrenia. It may or may not have anything to do with it, but they immediately say, you see, it's the schizophrenic person and they're dangerous. There's a lot of people who don't have schizophrenia who are dangerous. Uh, there's also another myth that I would say. I think a lot of people think that self-harm is just cutting, but I would say self-harm is also people that abuse alcohol or people that abuse drugs. You're still harming yourself. And when you think about it that way, then you kind of think that, yes, people might show it physically by cutting, but people that are alcoholics, they're not so much more different than these people. And I also think self-harm is valid no matter what it looks like or if it leaves scars. 3,000 scars. Yeah. If I had asked you that question about, do you think you're going to be alive when you get to school or when it's your birthday. If I had asked that back in the spring before your attempt, what would you say? I always used to be like, wow, if I'm alive, then we can do this. But I think that phrase made people feel quite uncomfortable. So I stopped using it. I might have to change my mind. Book (laughs) title, if I'm alive, we can do this is a great title. (laughs) Isn't it? You also said when we started talking about how when you would listen to some of the podcast episodes, one of the things that you liked was that even though it's not like at the center of what we talk about, some people talk about what helps, what works, how they cope. And you shared a couple of things that you got from that that helped you a little bit. Is there anything else that helps you feel a little better, feel a little less shitty, get through the moment? There are many amazing helplines out there that sometimes when you think about men mental health when you're already struggling sometimes just thinking about it as one day at a time and sometimes just getting through the night has really really helped me and some of these helplines have changed my life and have made it a lot better you know with my experience with the mental health system I don't want to put off anyone from reaching out for help because while I've had quite a horrible experience for example reaching out to my school or having a school counsellor and reaching out in other ways you know, I've had suicide attempts, but has saved my life in many other ways. It really depends on the person you're talking to, though, no? I think it does really depend on the person. Some people do not like just to call a helpline, just talk about their problems. Mm. Um, some people, if they ever talk, it's only really, really close friends. So I would say in that aspect, what has also really, really helped me is sometimes writing everything, just kind of spilling out everything on a mm-hmm. piece of paper and then just ripping it into shreds and just throwing it in the bin. I like that. Are there, are there other things that you want to talk about or share? I think I mentioned it a bit before, but I think your mental health disorder doesn't define you. And there's so many other things. Like I'm not just a person with borderline personality disorder and anxiety. I'm also a person that has a lot of empathy, loves helping people, loves languages, loves playing the piano. So there's so many other things that represent me, I would say. For sure. Is it safe to assume that you are really looking forward to leaving for Cambridge? Yes, with all my things, yes. All your stuff on the train, ready to go. You think your mom will be there at the train station? No, I don't think she'll. Maybe it'll be like a goodbye, wouldn't it? Maybe, I don't know. We'll see. Dad? No. Definitely not. Sister? She might be, yes. She she always says that she'll really, really miss me when I go to university. So. And we know for sure she's definitely your father's daughter, but we're not 100% sure about you. (laughs) Yes. Even though you're three years apart, he was married to your mom and you look exactly like him. 
Yes. Um, well, thank you. I don't even think I thanked you when we first got on here for talking. So thank you. What else is there to say? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. That's what I should say. Hope you have a nice rest of your evening. I don't know what time it is now, but. 7.23. And thank you very much. Bye, Rihanna. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to Rihanna in England. Thanks, Rihanna. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And a special thanks once again to everybody who has joined me here and who listens. I really appreciate it. That is all for episode number 180. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>